everyone. Um, I will just get started. Can people hear me okay? I'm where we're, we're not um, kind of mic'd or anything. And I have a, a terrible, I'll apologise for my cough and cold and any, if I need to retreat to a tissue under the table, I apologise um, now. No, um, be, be open about I'll be open. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll try to contain the germs. Oh, okay. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Um, so, uh, my name is, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Alison Wren. I work for LGBT um, Health and Wellbeing. I'm based in the Edinburgh office and I am, uh, coordinate the mental health project there. So that's a, a year-round programme of mental health and wellbeing um, activity for lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender people. I'm also an art therapist and I was an art therapist speaking earlier and um, a lot of our mental health work is very much um, arts-led and really that comes from the community. Um, that's what people have, that's the feedback people have given us, that that's how they want to explore and improve their mental health and well-being. So I think that's why I've been asked um, to chair this uh, conversation and I'm really pleased uh, on my panel I've got uh, Vic from the STA, the Scottish uh, Transgender Alliance, I've got um, uh, playwright Joe Clifford and I've got director, is yeah. that who likes to try <laughs> um, Cora Bissett, who um, are, we're all going to talk, um, and hopefully it'll feel quite informal, a bit of a conversation, and there's opportunities for people to ask questions or chip in um, to do with the, let me just clarify the topic, so transgender lives and um, mental health. Um, and I wonder, I, I wonder actually if uh, Joe and Cora want to start us off a bit, I'm going to put the spotlight on you um, because the, uh, the project uh, which I think this may have uh, this conversation may have come from is probably uh, to do with the Adam and Eve uh, project that Eve, meant Eve and Adam even Adam I beg your pardon see this is why I needed you to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> the details um, even Adam uh, that the Mental Health Foundation have been involved with so um, I don't know yeah two of you want to start yeah. okay well um my, this, it's kind of got two, two separate bits to it, this project, but they're very, very closely interlinked. Uh, my half of the project came about because uh, for a few years now I've wanted to create theatre about the trans experience. I mean, there is, there is a, now a repertoire, quite an extensive repertoire of plays about being gay, for instance, but there is nothing about being trans, and that seems to me a big gap and so for years uh, since the early 90s I have been trying to, to get this together and every time I do it if I try to write about my own experience then what comes up invariably are all the feelings of shame and guilt and profound profound distress feelings of unworthiness, feelings that what I'm doing is total, total crap. And if you're trying to create a piece of work, a piece of art, this is a, a massively difficult thing to try to deal with. And in the past I've always managed to do it by writing about trans women whose lives are <laughs> very different from mine. So. Um, one of the things I, I've done is I've imagined a transgender Jesus, uh, which is a play I also perform. And that's okay because I'm not Jesus. Jesus is over there somewhere. And that's a way of getting clear of all that. But I've also understood that there is a whole load of things in my own experience that are worth exploring, both for, both for my benefit, because it helps me overcome the, the shame that has crippled me for so many years of my life, but also because these are stories that need to be told. Trans people's stories need to be told. They're fundamentally important for everybody. And uh, I got in touch with, or Laurie um, got in touch with me, and when, they <laughs> when I told him I want to create a repertory of plays about trans people, he said, yes, that's really important. And no one, no theatre director anywhere had ever said that to me. And I was so moved, I burst into tears, which was a big mistake, but anyway, <laughs> it was the most extraordinary, liberating moment. But I also realised that to help me get through this, 
Um, I needed to work with somebody else, and uh, Chris Good is, a, is an amazing, beautiful theatre maker. Um, I don't know if you saw his stand that came up. Uh, it was in the, I think it was the last show that was put on in the Arches. He has written some very, very beautiful work. And uh, I played his mum <laughs> in a show that he, he created about his own life. Uh, and so suddenly I found it was just really wonderful to be able to work with him. And that's what we've been doing. And we've now more or less got a script. And the question was, well, how, what do we do with it? How, how does this fit into the programme uh, that the uh, National Theatre is doing? And suddenly, suddenly came this gorgeous angel <laughs> with such a profoundly exciting and moving project um, called Adam, which we were about to hear about. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of been a fortuitous journey of the two pieces coming together. Um, I saw... I should say for a start, I, I'm a theatre director. Um, I, I'm all, always on the lookout for what my, my next kind of project is going to be. And I've taken a lot of stories from real life uh, over the years. The, the initial one was Roadkill, uh, um, uh, centred around a story about sex trafficking. Then there was Glasgow Girls, about the girls who uh, fought for the rights of asylum seekers. And it was while Glasgow Girls was um, first mounted at the Citizens four years ago that I saw a little accompanying piece. It was a community performance um, upstairs in the studio. Uh, and it was there that I saw Adam, the real person Adam, uh, perform a little short monologue, a little a ten minute monologue about his life, um, uh, born in Egypt, uh, identifying as, well, uh, biologically as a, as a girl, um, and he just told how he'd gone on this journey through his life. Um, he'd uh, essentially fled Egypt um, because of a lot of the, the danger that was surrounding him. And he'd, through a, a, a huge series of, of different compli uh, complications along the way, um, ended up in Glasgow in a flat here and was applying for asylum here. <laughs> and his story just moved me profoundly. Um, I was sitting next to Dominic Hill at the time and we were both completely in bits at the end of it. But it, it was so, told so beautifully and, and so articulately by Adam that I went to him after the after the show and said, "Would you mind if I if I could get to know you a little and and would would it be would you be interested in me developing your story to for a bigger audience?" Um, I felt like Joe. It was a story that really needed told, and uh, I've kind of it, it's quite hard always at the inception of an idea trying to work out just what form a thing takes. And I'd listened to Adam's beautiful monologue, and there was a key moment that he described in it that kind of became the, the, the kernel for what the whole concept has now become. And there was a moment where he said he, he was in this flat, essentially, in Glasgow for 300 days, and he, um, he had no concept of being a transgender individual. No, absolutely no concept of that. Culturally, that wasn't something that had been discussed or in his, in his kind of um, radar at all. And he, he was going through an extremely difficult time emotionally, psychologically, and he kind of, in his exasperation, typed into the, to, into the internet, I feel like a, a boy stuck inside a girl's body. And the world came back at him. Um, and that was his, his real kind of first experience of, of connecting with other individuals out there. And as you can imagine, that was an absolutely life-changing moment for him. Um, and so I tried to, to think of a way in which uh, we could dramatise that and... and I don't want to go too much into it because I want to keep some uh, surprise for when the production eventually mounts. But um, essentially, I wanted to find a, a global um, aspect to the show where we would have participants from around the world that would be this community that Adam was connecting with. And so we've been developing for the past few months. Um, our project <coughs> manager, Leonie Grasson, has been connecting with trans people across the planet. We've got 100 people signed up um, from all parts of Africa, uh, the Middle East, um, from Jordan, from Norway, across Europe. The, the feedback's just been incredible. There's obviously a really great hunger to, for these people to have a community and a, a place to, to connect. Um, and so we're delighted that they're coming in and responding to this. And at the moment, we're just developing those relationships, but we have a way in which they're going to be featured digitally in the eventual production next summer. Mm -hmm. um, I won't talk too more about it. I don't want to hog this space, but uh, that, that's kind of... It's, it started with Adam's story, and it's become a kind of global uh, participatory project, which I'm, I'm really excited about. Yeah. 
Thank you. Um, now, don't worry, you don't need to come up with a play. Um, <laughs> I want to involve you as well. <laughs> um, so I wondered, actually, a bit of an open question that everyone on the panel can maybe chip in, but I thought maybe let you go first, is um, I wonder if you could tell us a bit more about maybe your interest um, and with your kind of STA hat on in terms of the portrayal of trans lives in, in the arts and, yeah, the impact on kind of people's mental health and well-being. Um, I think a really big thing, like Drew said, uh, is about how there's often like a complete absence of trans portrayals and it's really <coughs> important to not see that as a neutral thing. So it's not that just that negative portrayals can be harmful, but that lack of having any representation or seeing yourself reflected in the arts is, is really damaging as well. Um, and kind of all of the research that we do with trans people tells us that unfortunately th there's still really high levels of mental health problems within the trans community um, and a big part of that I think is that you kind of uh, there's a concept called minority stress and one of the big uh, ideas in it is that you internalise negative social attitudes that you hear about yourself if you're a member of a marginalised group and I don't think that those negative attitudes just necessarily come through horrible portrayals although those do definitely exist about trans people still but I think yeah that absence um, that idea that you could go to a seven day kind of festival of productions and there won't be anything that speaks to you or who you are or people like you um, and I just think that is so important that people are able to see that their stories and their lives are considered to be important um, mm -hmm. and worth exploring and I just think that it's incredibly valuable that, that the kind of arts generally do reflect everyone's realities and not just a really narrow narrow reality Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I think that's a. I think that's a really important point. That sense of. I think it was mentioned earlier. The sense of isolation, which I think is really interesting. That there's this really participatory element with the choir. You know, trans people are part of a minority group, and they. It's a really isolating experience. Over the years, I've worked at LGBT health. It's really. You know, you were talking about Adam's story, in um, and his background in Egypt. Actually, there's people living in Scotland that I come into contact with who get in touch with us, reaching out for support, primarily for their mental health. Who say, "I've never met anyone else like me," and and they're living in a, a kind of Western developed country with access to the internet, and they're still feeling this intense kind of um, sense of isolation. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's a microcosm, the, the arts is a microcosm of that. People aren't seeing them themselves. I think it's getting better and I think this production is a, a, is a huge step in the, um, in the right direction. But the, yeah, that, that kind of, I, I don't think it can be underestimated. The power, particularly in relation to our mental health, is feeling included or seeing ourselves in others. Because actually that, that can be quite a passive thing. We don't necessarily need to be on stage with someone to get that sense of, oh, me too, oh, that, that's me, or, or I've, I've felt like that before. Um, so, uh, you know, I would maybe kind of speak to the people who are involved with, if you're involved in any kind of programming of things, I think that's a really good point. If you're programming a day of films or a day of art activity or a day of discussion, are there, you know, who are you missing out from that? We're obviously focusing on trans identities, so, but equally that could be people of colour, for example. So I think it's really worth... The absence can be yeah just as damaging as the as the negative stuff. I don't know if either of you. Well, I, 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 I suppose I'd like to. I'd just like to say absence is is terrible. I grew up with no no representations at all. I mean, and just like Adam, mm -hmm. uh, I grew up in England in the fifties, and there was no representation. I had no idea. I, I I couldn't really make sense of who I was for many many years, and I remember the first time I went to a big proper theatre, it was to the pantomime, it was to see Aladdin, and there was Widow Twanky. There was this actually a very great theatre artist, uh, a man portraying a woman, and portraying a woman in a way that was ridiculous, that was laughable. And so the very first message I got about <coughs> myself was that I was grotesque. I was absurd, I was laughable, I was humiliating myself in this desire to be who I needed to be. And then as I got a bit, bit older, um, there was a film came out called Psycho. I don't know if you've ever seen Psycho, but there's a, there's a character there, that the, the, the real villain of the piece uh, is obsessed by the grief of the loss of his mother 
Well, I was obsessed by the grief of the loss of my mother. She died very suddenly when I was 12. He dresses up as his mother and he murders women. And the whole message of the film is that the sickest person you can imagine, the most depraved person you can imagine, the kind of the vilest person you can imagine, is a man wearing women's clothes. And then there was a big gap. I remember when we first started work, me and Chris, we, we, we sort of had pins <laughs> on the wall. And, and some of these colours were for artistic representations of who I was. So there were those two. And then there was this massive gap. I remember a film called The Damned. Uh, and the poster was of a very, very, very beautiful young man dressed as Marlena Dietrich. And then it said, he was the, most, the second most powerful man in Nazi Germany. And so suddenly I learnt, okay, I was, I was responsible for Nazism. <laughs> I, I was some kind of uh, symbol of profound social and moral decadence. And then when I was in my 40s, I think, for the very, very, very first time, I saw The Crying Game. And The Crying Game has a trans character in it, portrayed by a trans person. I'd never seen that before. Just think about that for a minute. I was in my 40s. I had never seen myself represented anywhere before. And my God, Dill is such a beautiful person, a loving person, a tender person, a real human being. But, and there's a certain point at which she gives the hero a blowjob, and it's the best blowjob he has ever had in his life. He is in total ecstasy. And then he discovers that Dill is trans. And he slaps her viciously, and he runs off, into the bathroom to be sick. Now that is a powerful message about who I was, who we are. And so it's incredibly, incredibly important to do what we can. It's, it's probably the most important thing I'm doing at the moment with my art, and with my life. It's important to be in this room so you can see me. Just that is a powerful statement. And when I perform on stage, again as a proud, unashamed trans woman, this is pretty damn powerful. And I cannot overestimate how important this work is. That's me. It's. I mean, I think what the all of the the kind of the the visual arts has is this ability. We can't see people's gender identity. Um. You know, we might be able to get clues from their gender expression, but it's something that we that we can't see in other other people. But what the visual arts gives um, individuals and communities an opportunity to do is make that visible for others in the way in which they want to be seen. But I think, like you said, it's even just really powerful just, just standing there, mm. just being present, just mm. being not... Um, when, when there's so much of an absence in, in other areas. And, but, but I think for in, the, in the work that I do in terms of the arts and healthcare, I think that's why LGBT people, you know, same for sexuality, you can't see people's sexuality. And I think people really love having opportunities to express it in the way that, that they can with their words or their images or, or their actions, which aren't interpreted or stigmatised or discriminated by other people. Because it's quite, it's quite unique to actually get an opportunity to express yourself and, and your gender in the way in which you want to be seen because we live in a society where so much is assumed by someone mm -hmm. by, their, by their name or their, or their clothing or their birth certificate um, and so yeah I'm really pleased that there's people like you out there, <laughs> out there doing it as, as well is there anything else you want to add to what um, I think it's just the, the way that we're, we're evolving the Adam project and trying to involve so many people 
in it, it, it in, a, in a very literal sense there's there's um, a choir element in the show and um, basically I, I kind of got this idea when I was watching a TED talk uh, by Eric Whitaker who's a brilliant uh, um, contemporary um, classical composer and he'd created this um, it was, a, it was a bit of an, an experiment that he had at the time um, where he created this uh, beautiful uh, classical composition but split it up into little sections and posted it online um, so that people could learn little sections of this choral piece and just record those little sections, you know, a few minutes into their laptops. And uh, they could send that back to Eric and he would edit it together. And it went viral. He got something like 30,000 hits on it and all these little videos of people just in their own tiny little space in their rooms with their headphones in. He, he was conducting the piece so everyone could sing in time. And he got all these little snapshots of people singing across the world and edited this into a, a beautiful virtual world choir. Um, so I was stunned by this idea and really really loved it and wanted to somehow use the essence of that in the show god i'm giving away too much but <laughs> you'll, you'll forget about it by the time, time the show comes around again <laughs> but um uh, so what we're, we're trying to do is um reach out to trans people across the world and give them that space to 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 be themselves mm. that will be one aspect of the show but also we're doing these um accompanying uh, well, it's all, it's all feeding into the show. We've got a, an actual real live choir starting in Glasgow uh, this Saturday, which we've got 50 members signing up to, all um, trans people. And I think, as you see, given that space to be visible, but it's, an, it's a protected environment because I think people still really need that at this, at this stage in time and this stage of evolution mm -hmm. that we're at. Um, and Leone's been brilliant in just being so considerate to what the needs of that particular group might be. For instance, there's a, a, there's a registration where you can identify how, which pronoun you wish to be um, identified by, whether he, she or they. And I, I don't think I've ever seen an event where you're offered that, that opportunity to do so. This, this is how I would like to be referred to. Um, and I think that's about a wider community learning how, how to... How to how to refer to you sensitively and, and just I think so much pain can be caused by fear of asking the right questions isn't it and asking the right questions in a, in a sensitive way um, there's a there's a green room where people can who are participating in the choir can go to just to take a little bit of time out we're aware that some people are in the process of binding and so singing for an extended period of time could be quite a strain on them and so we've we tried to recognize that and give a little space for mm. for time out during the day um, also people who are in transition transitioning correct me if I'm using the wrong language um, uh, you know that there's that there's that uh, phase where I'm sure the your own voice is, is becoming different um, and the voice that you've been used to is, is in a, a process of transition and obviously singing singing for anybody can be quite a um, you know quite a moment of putting yourself out there it can be a really insecure thing for anybody never mind if your voice is in a in a stage of becoming one thing to another um, so the way that the choir has been led is is uh, given uh, kind of really good uh, vocal strategies to just be comfortable using the breath and, and becoming confident in your new voice. So it's more than a choir. It's it's much much more than a choir. It's about it's about a space for those people to be visible, to feel that they're strong together, and also to be validated by the fact that we want to create a choir that is for you and about you. And hopefully that will just have bigger wider repercussions. It's it's the start of something. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I think a choir seems like a really brilliant idea because I think that voices are a, really, a, a, a very gendered thing. Mm. Um, and one of the things um, in particular that I hear all the time and I feel exactly the same is that um, trans people hate using the phone because you've got absolutely no option to give any type of cue about yourself except for what someone's going to assume from what they can hear in your voice. Mm -hmm. So I think the idea of a trans choir is really amazing. I can imagine that it's going to look, in theory, very different in terms of what you're hearing versus what you're used yeah, to seeing. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think that that will be really awesome. Great. Mm -hmm. um, the particular... The particular... No, 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 I was just um, going to take it with me. Uh, I, no, no, <laughs> yeah, you can have it. I was going to say, the particular workshop that's happening on um, Saturday in Glasgow, if you want some more info on it, we'll put some little... It's, it's it's open to anyone who's uh, trans, non-binary or intersex um, who identifies as part of those uh, communities um, and we'll put some, uh, and it's free, 
and there's light refreshments as well. <laughs> and, uh, and it's very, very clear, no particular singing talent or experience required. So it's a really open um, and accessible uh, workshop um, to come and take part in. And you, I'd be very surprised if you went somewhere like that and felt worse about yourself afterwards. Yeah. I think that sense of coming together, but also doing something that maybe is a bit scary that you don't usually do in the sort of the act of participating so we'll put those leaflets on the the sign up desk so if you're interested yourself or you can think of other people you might know who might be interested all of the um all of the details are um are on there and you can that's yours yeah. thank you dear. <laughs> <laughs> um i i was curious if people could think of like we, we kind of um acknowledge the the cost of absence or of kind of more um, uh, stereotyped, particularly with kind of um, images of trans women in, in film or um, the, the cost of those things. And I wondered if anyone could think of, apart from the project you're working on now, any positive representations of trans people in the arts that have actually, that have, that have helped or that have, people have have thought bucks the trend of being stereotypical or, or discriminatory. Silence. <laughs> I, I, saw I saw transcripts last year at oh, yeah. Edinburgh Festival, and that was brilliant. Yeah. Um, really, really good. It was it was kind of all like monologues. And it yeah. was all voiced by trans-identifying actors. Right? Yes. Yeah. 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 And that was absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. But it was probably one of the only things I've ever seen um, that made people seem a kind of diverse. So it wasn't all just like one version of what trans mm-hmm. is, um, yeah. and also wasn't. Um, <coughs> Although there were some kind of like sympathetic aspects and some people talking about negative things, it, that wasn't what it was about. It wasn't. A, it wasn't about needing to create sympathy to to create yeah. an interest in the audience. So that was really great. But I mean, otherwise, I would say largely not that much stuff. Mm. I think it's like many things, isn't it? Until until a wider society truly accepts mm. this I, I, a new idea to them mm. that this the stories the narratives that you get are are the the painful ones the troubled ones the complicated mm-hmm. ones um until it becomes normal mm. and accepted and so probably we're in a, a transitionary stage at the moment as it, it feels like there's a lot out there right mm. now and and that's fantastic but i'm I, i'm sure trans people are, are are eager for that stage to come where it's not all just about just about this this mm. difficult experience it becomes can we just see trans actors in things mm. in plays yeah. I've, yeah. I've already been going through a interesting process we did a, a first development on the adam project in november last year and one of the big questions for me was um do I so Adam himself I identifies you know he's a trans male now he obviously was biologically female um, do I get a girl to play a, a male role do I get mm. a, a, a cis male to, to play or do I use a trans actor that, mm-hmm. that felt like a really key political question actually mm-hmm. so I thought the best person to ask was Adam who, mm-hmm. who should play you and we talked about it a lot and we've actually decided to use three actors mm-hmm. to show the trans the transition and mm-hmm. um, I'll, I'll be working with a, a, a cis female a cis male and a, and a trans actor mm-hmm. um, and again I think we just want to show that that gender is fluid and there's this mm-hmm. huge broad spectrum and not everyone fits into these really mm-hmm. kind of black and white categories um, but looking for trans actors in, mm. for that development was actually very difficult. You know, there yeah. wasn't a great database. And then I thought, well, of course, if you're a trans actor, maybe you don't want to stick yourself in this little box of being mm-hmm. trans. Maybe you're on the Spotlight Actors database as male or female actor. And then mm. I thought, God, that's opening a big, wide, wider mm. question already. Mm-hmm. You know, how should, should trans actors be in a different category or mm. should they just identify as as mm. the gender they wish to be recognised as? Um, and that feels like another wide discussion. But certainly many of the trans actors that I met, there's there's a drama course in London now that is purely for trans actors. Mm. It's a short intensive run by Central School of Speech and Drama, yeah. which is certainly a step in the right direction. And I think it's given people a lot of confidence to, to step into yeah. acting. Um, but when I was auditioning a lot of people... Um, they were saying that you know they they just wanted to go for roles that yeah. that you know were just human beings, yeah. <laughs> um, and I thought that's that's kind of the mm. aim of where we're getting yeah. to. We're still mm. in a very binary stage at the moment, yeah. but we're on a journey, I think. Yeah. My, my my spotlight entry yeah. lists me as trans. I kind of insisted on that. Did, right, that was right. very important. Right, very that's important. Yeah, very important yeah. for me. But I mean. 
this is because I can make my living in all sorts of other ways. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Um, yeah. If 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 I uh, if I was solely dependent on <laughs> on yeah. acting as a trans actor. Well, I'd be fucked. <laughs> there, there are no roles. Yeah, you know. yeah. I, I was thinking there's something really interesting there about opportunity. Yeah. So where are people's for for actors? Where are people's opportunity to even train? Yeah. Or yeah. For, exactly. Yeah. For, yeah. I was, yeah, yeah. What came to mind actually? I mean, I mean that's amazing. That. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, when I was working as a drama school, if you happened to be trained, God, you'd kite it yeah. so so much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. You wouldn't tell anybody. I mean, there's a very, very lovely uh, trans woman actor called Rebecca Root who was in mm, yes, Transcripts, yes, yes, who's um, now in uh, Boy Meets Girl, mm -hmm, which yes. is a, a, which again, that, that's a remarkable thing. Yeah. Uh, I tried. <laughs> we tried to uh, set up a, a uh, comedy series called Sex Chips and the Holy Ghost. <laughs> um, and, and channel... I hope it's just on the shelf. It sounds amazing. <laughs> well, <laughs> channel, channel Four were very interested, and they gave us some money to make a short film, and then mm -hmm. they suddenly got scared about it. Really? Yeah. yeah, I was playing a, a trans a trans nun. <laughs> there was that bit that was too much. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it was what was interesting about it was that we. Um, uh, my fellow actor David played a, a gay priest, and we'd both mm -hmm. been expelled from our respective denominations. And so we got together and we were setting up a freelance blessing business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it does sound amazing. I think it's a great idea. <laughs> well, one, one day it'll be made, probably after I'm dead. <laughs> somebody. Um, it's interesting you bring up Rebecca Root and Boy Meets Girl because I was actually talking about sort of commissioning processes and things. My understanding is that that, um, that show came from uh, a, a specific call out that the BBC put for, was it like a sort of trans comedy writing? For, for, for trans comedy writing, yeah. yeah. And, and they, uh, they, it would never have happened without that yeah. call out. Mm. Yeah, uh, and because it's so, so, if anybody's ever tried to get uh, a show made for television, <coughs> it is a nightmare. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Not whether you're cisgendered or yeah, exactly. Or, or transgendered is so difficult, and, and that that's the only way it yeah. could have could have found its way. And it's wonderful that it's considered such a success. Yeah, I I, and, I loved uh, it. I and, uh, really they've just it. been filming the second series. Yeah, I yeah. I actually I thought it I thought it was really um, accessible for people who might not have um, encountered trans lives mm. in their in mm. their lives before, because um, I think at its heart. It's not a trans show. It's a love story. It's a love so story. you're and it's yeah. and the characters are all really, really rich. You've got these two families, and it is and it is a comedy. So you've got these hilarious kind of oh, there's, there's the silly mother, and then you know, is the annoying brother, and actually you're completely absorbed by the characters. One of which happens to be trans, um, and yeah, the sort of boy meets girl love story. Um, I, I wondered actually for for you, Joe. You kind of mentioned it a bit more, and I wondered if there's anything else you want to say, like particularly as someone. So even when you're talking about your spotlight entry as someone as an out trans woman, I'm I was interested um, as both a, a writer and, a, and an actor. If in terms of the impact on your mental health, like what have been the the real positives about that, but also what have been the the negatives in terms of um, impact of, of being an out trans woman in, in that, that field okay all those fields probably. well it's it's um gosh i mean i i think i think it's really important to say that if you don't allow uh, a child the chance to explore their gender identity fully it is the most profound you're doing that child the most profound mm. damage um and I think it's only now, really, that I've begun to understand myself as a survivor of abuse. The most profound and damaging abuse, because you're quite right, what happens is that we internalize mm -hmm. this stuff. And for years and years and years, I thought that if I was unhappy, it was my own fault, it was because I was sick. But it was nothing to do with oppression, it was nothing to do with the, with the world. It took me a long time to come to the realization that this was not my problem, really. Mm -hmm. This is to do with prejudice. And then, as I came out, well, I, I came through, I went through all the difficulty that trans people do coming out. I mean, there was three or four years where every time I walked out my front door, I walked out into the street, um, people apparently felt 
perfectly all right about shouting the vilest abuse at me. Felt perfectly all right about laughing in my face, about talking about me as if I wasn't there. Um, and I remember in uh, 2009, when I did uh, the Gospel according to Jesus, Queen of Heaven, for the first time, which was a very public statement of my identity as a trans woman, there were demonstrators, there were hundreds of demonstrators in the street outside the theatre. And uh, a friend of mine, a friend of mine went, uh, went in to see, to see my show, and she asked them, why, why do you hate this show so much? You don't know a thing about it. And one of them said, you don't need to go near a sewer to know that it stinks. So that is one impact on my mental health, was that the, when I came out, I found myself inadvertently exposed to profound hatred. Um, and, you know, that's slowly dissipating, but I was telling Cora I'm off to Brazil. Um, and in Brazil, a trans woman gets murdered every 22 hours. In Brazil, the life expectancy of a trans woman is 35. 35. And this week, I have really had to try to come to terms with the fact that I am going to a country in which there are many thousands of people would happily see me dead for being who I am. And of course, it's not just Brazil, it's Africa, it's Russia, it's the Middle East. Many, many countries in the world that are now close to me. And of course, that impacts on your mental health. Because uh, you are st it's as if you're stepping into a, uh, well, you're stepping into an ocean of love, in one sense, you're stepping into a, an extraordinarily liberating space where you can finally be yourself. But you're also stepping into a world of hatred. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, 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 but on the other hand, I would always, always say, it's better to be yourself. It's always better to be yourself. Uh, and that is far less damaging. And certainly if I'd been unable to come out I'm sure I'd be dead by now. I'm sure I would never have survived the, the uh, I, you know, I'd have killed myself or drunk myself to death or something like that. So, yes, gosh, does that answer your question? That sort of answers your question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, it's interesting. You said, I, I, you know, talk about kind of saving yourself by your artistic expression. I'm, I'm, I feel confident that it saves people along the way as well, you know, just from that sense of people being able to to see something and the fact that, you know, well, there's people who've never seen a show protesting something that you yeah, you yeah. carry on doing. And I, I don't know if people here have seen um, a, a production of Jesus, Queen of Heaven, but I find it, I, I almost find it farcical that people are protesting it because it's supposed to be blasphemous in some way, because I think it's the most Christian production I've ever seen, in terms of, like, the real sort of values of loving each other and taking care of each other as humans. And I'm, I'm, always, I'm always flabbergasted by people who are kind of protesting, you know, against this. It just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. But it also tells me that they're actually not protesting the play, they're protesting their own internal Well, well that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's exactly it. I mean, the, you know, and that's, that's how you survive this stuff. Yeah. You, you, you yeah. know that actually they don't, you know, they don't hate me. Yeah. It's an aspect of themselves that they're hating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because uh, I think that this is another really important thing to say, that um, the trans dilemma, if you like, is not, it's not confined to us trans people. It is a universal human thing. Because everybody, I'm saying this in great confidence about all of you, which feels <laughs> very... Uh, very outrageous at the moment, but, it, but every single one of you, I can guarantee, if we were able to sit and talk about it, would start to tell us, to tell me, about the ways you have suffered through being brought up a girl, the ways in which you have suffered discrimination, the ways in which you have had to censor parts of yourself because they have not felt right, the ways in which you 
hate yourself, hate the shape of your body perhaps, because it does not conform to society's expectation of what it is to be a girl. And I am convinced if I was to talk to you men as well, you would be telling me the same story. That you have had to sacrifice maybe a very precious part of yourself in order to conform to what society demands of being a man. And this is a source of huge, huge suffering for everybody in the world. And someone like myself, of course, we are touching a very, very sore point in everybody, and I'm sure, particularly those who have very heavily patriarchal set of beliefs. Mm. And I'm sure that's where the hatred comes mm. from. It mm. comes from these unacknowledged parts that are in everybody. Mm. In everybody. I'm sorry, may I say something? May I say something? In the last room I stood up, I don't feel any need to stand up here. I'm sitting down, so thank you. Okay. Joe, just what you were saying there. I got really, really angry. Uh, I was loving everything, listening to everything. Didn't realise about the telephone. I'd never thought about that before, what it must be like on the telephone. And then I wrote down the word, oh yes, I'm an actor too. But then I wrote down the word chips. Oh, I would have liked to have seen something like that. You know, that I couldn't remember what else you said about it, the piece you were going to do about the... And then, all of a sudden, I just felt really angry in the pit of my stomach at the comment of, you don't need to go near a sewer to know that it stinks, yes. I actually live near, I'm, I live in Leith, so I live near Seafield, which is a sewage plant. And sometimes we occasionally, so I know that is fact, you, you, you know, because I live near one. But to say that to an individual, anyone, yes, is, <coughs> I just made you sound just totally unacceptable, it's just not what, so that real anger in me of things that I have came across in the past, and just what you were saying, everybody will come across some sort of, made me want to answer in just a really horrible way. Mm. Mm -hmm. mm. Mm. I don't know if you want to hear it, but if I do it with comedy... <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll let you decide if you think it's appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> may I swear, is that all right? Because I, I am fed up sometimes of censoring myself. So if we look at this as theatre or television or whatever, you know, for somebody to say that to... You don't know, and they would have, I would imagine said it in such a way that made you feel that way. It's what you know that you don't need to go near a sewer, you know. To which I would have replied, I know, I can smell you from here, you cheeky fucker. <laughs> <laughs> but that sort of thing makes me really angry because, well, you know, that's people's behaviour and their lack of understanding. And rather than ask what it's like, we prefer to. Yeah. It's interesting you name that um, emotion, anger, because I think actually in terms of our mental health thing, actually anger can be a really, really healthy emotion, sure. because yeah. it, particularly if someone has treated us in a way that's not okay, mm -hmm. we're really justified in feeling yes. angry. It's, it's when we kind of say, oh, I guess I should be treated like that, you know, which becomes a problem. You know, that anger tells me, like, we're saying, that's not okay. That doesn't feel okay. And, you know, and anger can quite closely go along with passion. So I think particularly in the arts, people can use that anger to their really creatively sometimes. It doesn't mean it's any less offensive or less difficult or um, painful mm -hmm. to have that experience of someone saying to that. But I think um, people are um, very good. And I, I, I've, I don't know if anyone's ever read Joe's blog. I'm always... Um, amazed at um, how when she reflects on whatever protest is happening this, this month you know whenever um, Jesus Queen of Heaven tours in in how eloquent you are in terms of responding to that but not responding from a, like well you're stupid too yes. you know actually really r responding with um, with empathy and with and with grace and um, 
yeah, and with with the values that are part of the um, show as well. I, th- I think that's a real um, skill because I think our instinct might yeah, be to yeah. tell someone to fuck off as yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying to myself at that point, and I think that's a really valid point, yeah. but that's how it makes you feel, that why should we yeah. bring ourselves to that level yeah. to respond to someone that's doing yeah. that? Yeah. Yes. Uh, Sorry. Yes, I was, was going to op- yeah, I was going to open it up for another question. Do you want to? I'm taking it all the way back to something we've talked about earlier, but um, the whole point of the festival, prejudices, years trying to counter prejudice isn't a rational, emotional, logical, uh, logical thing. It's an emotional response. People with prejudice have never met the person with prejudice against it. So that's the whole point of the arts was an emotional response. Um, but I, I don't know, your, your conversation about the crying game, I think, is, is important, isn't it? Because we talk, you, you talked earlier about the lack of positive representation. Mm-hmm. It's true, of course, and mental ill health as well. But And then you have the kind of awful representations. But that, that's the first thing that I remember. On a large scale, it really engages mm-hmm. the public. It's terrible in a way, but great in a way, isn't it? Mm-hmm. As, as, a, as a piece, mm-hmm. as a film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it reached so many people. That, mm-hmm. I was just wondering, hear a bit more about that. I mean, it, it's kind of awful in what you saw, but if you really want to generate um, passion and uh, uh, a response, uh, you sometimes have to expose. Well, it, because, uh, because in many ways that was a very plausible response given. Mm. I mean, you know, mm. so it, it's not about condemning that mm. in any way. And it was, uh, uh, oddly enough, uh, I've <laughs> I'd forgotten that bit. I'd forgotten that he'd slapped her and been sick. All that I remembered was how how wonderful and beautiful and loving and uh, and compassionate Dill was. And then I remember mentioning it to a, a trans friend of mine, a younger trans woman, and she said, "Oh yeah, but that's what happened." Uh, and of course, that in a way that response shows how much things have changed. Uh, young younger. Younger, gosh, I, I, I mean, younger, younger, younger trans people and binary people and non-binary people mm-hmm. feel much so differently from it because they haven't been exposed to the level of yeah. hatred mm-hmm. that that, um, that I was exposed to growing up in the in the fifties. Can um, I just pick up? Yeah, of course you can. Um, I think you're absolutely right. I think things have changed to an extent, but just in um, doing the research for for mm-hmm. uh, the Adam piece, I was looking into statistics of. Um, how many people were, were attacked in various countries, mm. just trying to see what mm. the global picture mm. was. And in America, there was, I can't remember the figures, but I, I know there was an inordinate amount of, of attacks and deaths, particularly in that instance where someone had perhaps got together with someone in a bar, um, gone home together, and then discovered that the person was trans. And the immediate, knee-jerk response was, was to attack physically. Mm-hmm. Really, you know, to, to the point of death at but, times. That, that, that used to be accepted as a valid defence. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently. Tra- trans panic. Yeah. Trans panic. Yeah. Apparently yeah. there is still a law, isn't there, in some states, yeah. Yeah. where you yeah. are, you, you're acquitted for murder because it's, it's seen as a... It's, it's most states uh, apart from California. Is it? I, I, yeah, yeah. Quite yeah. Quite Which is yeah. just yeah. shocking yeah. that the justice system supports the the attack. Of course, it's awful. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's quite awful, incredible. But, but, that, but you know, if uh, it, when when men killed women, um, there was still a valid defence of jealousy. <sighs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's yeah. you know, this is we're, we're, we're not talking something that was that long yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, gosh, what a. Oh, anyway, it's not quite. It's just always had something appeared. Let me ask. you think that the. Um, the 98 Human Rights Act and in Britain, the Equality Act of 2010, they need to be updated to be more inclusive in terms of what you've been just talking about, the violence in particular. Mm-hmm. I want. I want <laughs> yeah, I think that's good news, isn't it? To be fair, in particular, the Equality Act has done a huge amount of positive things for trans people, like absolutely hugely, particularly kind of pulling out <coughs> protections from trans people from, uh, it was kind of in sex discrimination protection mm. before, but not really, so it didn't work very well. Um, and it has been really useful, but even though we're talking about other places around the world, when we did a survey last year, so 2000, or the year before, 2014, um, one in seven of the trans respondents in Scotland had experienced or witnessed a hate crime within 24 hours of taking the survey. So we're not talking, 
we're not I think it can sometimes get a bit you know you can be kind of tempted to say sort of oh those places over there have a pro-, but actually mm-hmm. it's still a reality particularly in more rural parts of Scotland that mm-hmm. trans people are experiencing a lot of discrimination um, and the laws do need to be updated to an extent the Equality Act at the minute is written in language that so it, it says it uses the word transsexual and the protected characteristic is called gender reassignment. So it makes it all sound very medical. Um, and even though it's written in a way that's slightly more inclusive than that, it's not very easy for people who don't know as much about trans equality to get that. So we're um, we were hoping that it will change from sort of transsexual to transgender and then for the characteristic to be called gender identity just so it makes it very, very clear that... And also as well so that it means that people who aren't trans are protected and it makes it more about protections for gender non-conforming people mm-hmm. altogether. Um, because at the minute there are some people who would kind of slip mm-hmm. slip through that equality legislation because people might know that you're not trans. That's not why That's not why they're giving you a hard time at work so you can't be protected, but they're giving you a hard time because mm-hmm. you don't look how a woman should look. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it gets kind of a bit broader and a bit more about, no, let's think about the way people are stereotyped and protect them from not having that happen to them, then it, it would be better. So we're hoping that that will change, yeah. It's reserved, though, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was just to discuss, um, if you compare the trajectory of trans folk uh, compared um, depicted in media and action films with that of cis gay men, um, I'm thinking of like the 70s when it was Mr Humphreys and uh, Kenneth Williams mm-hmm. and the early noughties we now have sort of more well-rounded, multi-layered cis gay men. Um, whereas for me growing up and uh, the trans depictions were, well actually they were mostly real people, it was like Nadia Big Brother and there's something about Miriam and even Hayley Cropper um, in Coronation Street and it was, it generated massive water cooler conversation mm-hmm. uh, but it was still very derogatory and it's only now that we're on the cusp mm-hmm. of getting sort of more multifaceted mm-hmm. trans characters mm-hmm. depicted where, where do you see it going now if you compare it to the sort of cis game man where they now have more uh, developed characters what do you think will be the future for trans depictions Depends on the mood I'm in. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, I think, I think, yeah. And you, you're so right to to, to mention these stereotypes. I, I, I think that um, in general, trans rights. I mean, you, you you'll probably be more expert on this than I am. Trans rights are, are, are still a long way behind gay rights. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I sometimes feel like I'm. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? I'm still living in the fifties or yeah. the sixties. <laughs> Somehow I'm stuck in a time warp. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I think history is on our side. You know, in my, yeah. my, my more optimistic moments, um, I get terribly frightened by what's happening in the States just now mm-hmm. because there's a massive reaction going on with these dreadful bathroom bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, and, 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 I, and I notice that they are affecting me here. Mm-hmm. That, I, that, that, that suddenly I started to to wonder, well, as I go to the ladies, well, what's, will somebody start challenging me? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, there was a case uh, the other week of a, uh, of a young woman who was in the toilet of a, somewhere in, of a McDonald's, somewhere in the north of England, mm-hmm. who was challenged because she did not conform to idea, you know, ideas of what a woman should look like. Mm-hmm. And of course, that makes me think that behind all this, there is a, it's, it's part of the massive backlash against feminism. This is a, these are new ways of controlling women's bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I mean, extraordinary. Was it in New Zealand that these... Um, I know, it was, in, it was in Buckinghamshire. Girls, schoolgirls were... A whole bunch of schoolgirls were turned away from their school Not because their enough. skirts were too short. And they would distract the boys. Mm. Yeah. I mean, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> is it to you know. do with the fact that maybe capitalism is crumbling and men want to keep their, keep, their power? I'm sure. <laughs> there are a lot of this going on and it's a way of... The, this fear factor, because yeah. actually the best one to challenge all these 
the bad ideas is to educate our children so yeah. that the children yeah. are coming through with positive things. Yeah. Yeah. And all these older sort of, uh, you know, the establishment, all those people will be redundant. So mm. there is hope. There's, 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 there's a desperation hope, yeah. in those rules, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Oh, we can't do this. I, I think you're absolutely right. And I know there, there's a, been a, a big splurge in... Um, Young books for children uh, featuring, you know, non-binary characters. Yeah. So I'm not, I think that's a massive step yeah. forward. I absolutely, because kids just accept things so much more yeah. readily. If that's just part of your, yeah. you, you, the world experience yeah. that you're presented with, then there's no problem with it. I, I did wonder in the in the at the end of the last panel, which focused on children, where I forget who it was who was talking about um, in theatres <laughs> sort of tackling subjects which have traditionally seen more as taboo and. And I'd be, in terms of direction of things, I'd really like to see more art. So not just, I think it's there in sort of literature, but things like theatre productions aimed at children mm. that is exploring gender identity and their gender identity. Because I think, I mean, we all have a gender identity and the research shows us people develop it by about the age of three. Mm. So why we think it would be so taboo to yeah. have a conversation yeah. and as mm. part of something interesting, creative with four and five-year-olds yeah. about theirs their gender in relation to other people's. It's not really that taboo, but no. I think we, as a society, we're really, really scared about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and really unnecessarily so. And I think, yeah, it comes from that fear. For, you know, people kind of, you know, even when people are trying to go into schools to talk to 14, 15-year-olds about sexuality and gender, you know, there's still a fear there. Like, oh, everyone's going to come thinking they're a different gender. It's like, oh, I don't think children are. <laughs> <laughs> indoctrinating. Yeah. 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 And, and where, it, then, you know, going back to maybe the original point, there's, a, there's an absence there, I think, for children. So in terms of direction of travel, I'd really like to see that happening. And it will probably take a few really, really brave people to, to lead on that. Do you know her? Yeah. Oh, what's her name? Amy McCaskill. Amy McCaskill. She's doing oh. some... Uh, stuff with like um, young kids and uh, and it's sort of about research about gender mm. and it's oh, called actually, Gender yes. Sort of Tricks. Yes, yeah, yeah Gender Sort of Tricks, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, have, I have seen I've seen that website. Yeah, it's beautiful. Oh, you can, you can be our one, last question. One minute, it's really short. Yeah. Well, I hope it's short. <laughs> um, I, I'm quite interested in the global aspect of, of the project and I um, was, I can't reveal my sources because I can't remember them, but I was listening <laughs> to a trans person describing how we sort of pat ourselves on the back here because we're ha experiencing this tiny awakening mm -hmm. where we're becoming more maybe accepting, maybe understanding of trans lives and um, and yet there are cultures in the world where that is absolutely normal and has been since, you know, mm -hmm. longer than anyone can remember, mm. uh, completely accepted. And while we congratulate ourselves, their cultures are actually being influenced by, this is not what they were saying, this is kind of what my train of thought is now, that their cultures are actually being influenced by Western cultures that are less accepting, and that they and that we are actually exporting transphobia. Yes, we are. And I've experienced that kind of, you know, um, not personally, but in a in a culture where I lived, um, where uh, a, a very kind of accepted um, trans culture, um, faculty culture in Polynesia, mm -hmm. uh, where people there described to me that the, you know that they had been accepted since time immemorial and that now they were experiencing a backlash mm. that they felt was coming from uh, a Western influence. <coughs> um, and I just wondered if you'd come across kind of any of those kind of experiences. Not, not so far, but that, that's fascinating and sad yeah. to hear. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I know we've got a really, we've got a kind of map of all the places we've tapped into, but that that's making me kind of want to maybe even approach some, some cultures like that and ask, ask mm. them to connect with us. But as I'm aware of, not at the moment. I, I'm, yeah. mm. It's I've been entirely voluntary. Well, the Polynesians. Yeah, it's been it's been a wide open offer and that forum is ongoing right until the production next year. So it's it's uh -huh. there's loads of room for, for mm. you know for that to gain momentum and And especially I suppose the maybe the islanders being very isolated, yeah. having a mm. connection like that yeah. might really benefit. Yeah. So yeah. I also think it's yeah, it's important as well to imagine that you probably couldn't think of like a, glo a global way of understanding trans identities anyway. Um, and I think a big problem is that 
often it doesn't translate very well because in the global north we tend to think about LGBT stuff as identities and much more so in countries in the global south it tends to be more about kind of practices and customs mm -hmm. and behaviours and mm -hmm. less about kind of a, a, a label you give to yourself so and yeah. and sometimes those two ways of, of being and seeing and behaving although they may look very similar to us that doesn't mean you would use the same words to describe yeah. them and it's I think it's important it's to kind of accept mm. that you might have commonalities yeah. but, mm. but really it doesn't it, it's not fair and it doesn't make sense to sort of try and put your words onto mm. other people's no, experiences right. mm. yeah. okay. can I quote something from Jesus Queen of Heaven at a certain point she says we are the Hijra of India the Katoi of Thailand Warrior of Indonesia, Bisu of the archipelago, Fafafine of Samoa, Moshe of Mexico, Travesti of Brazil, two spirit people of North America, Shaman of Siberia, Yandaudu of West Africa, and many more besides. For verily, verily, I say unto you, because it is undoubtedly true, that every culture in every place and time has known of us and celebrated us mostly, except for this one. <laughs> and it is in the minority. That feels like a lovely way to end. <laughs>